I, I guess the question is like, do we have to talk football? I mean, do we need yeah, to? Yeah, like, you got, I think you got to. I don't do think we, I can do basketball the whole time because I'm just not ready for it. Like I'm not uh, in that I space could, yet. Listen, if there's anything that that the last few weeks has taught me is that I can be ready for basketball real quick, real mm-hmm. quick. CapsCorner.com podcast, CapsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place where Franklin States in the West End of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, October the 12th. The Cavaliers are thankfully on a bye this week. Um, they are idle this weekend. Uh, no chance that Virginia loses a football game um, this weekend to, um, I'm sure, you know, just absolute crazy applause out there to the, the fans who are listening. Um, we are going to talk football for a little while. We're going to, I guess we, we've run a couple of mid season review pieces on the, on the site this week. So I guess we, it's only fair that we talk about the mid season and sort of where things are. Um, we're not going to rehash everything, um, that we've talked about in recent weeks. Cause a lot of that still stands. In fact, a lot of it is crystallized if that makes any sense, but we're also going to talk basketball. The Cavaliers obviously are, um, I mean, look, it's a it's going to be one of the deepest, most experienced teams that Tony Bennett has had, um, and it should be an interesting season. Um, lot, I, I think it'll it's it's going to be fun to talk about, and certainly fun to uh, cleanse the palate, so to speak, after several weeks of you know frustrating football discussion. Before we get started, let's go around and introduce everybody. First in Fishersville, uh, board moderator du jour, David Spence is on the show. How's it going, my friend? About as good as a two and four fan can be doing, you know. Um, fair, yeah. Very I mean, that, blatantly honest. Um, looking forward to the bye week. Who Dave's on the board at Who Dave's on Twitter? I think uh, Dave. I think that's the first. That's the fastest we've ever gotten a um, a title before. But blatantly honest is is just perfect. Um, up in um, Charlottesville, editor in chief Justin Ferber is also on this here program. How's it going, my dude? Not too bad. I uh, I believe I texted you guys. I wasn't at the game on Saturday about halfway through the game and said, looks like I picked a good week to not be here. And you guys both were like, yes, <laughs> immediately. So <laughs> that's always a good sign. That <laughs> just underscore for everyone. Um, Cavs Corner also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner. Great place for the in-game updates, the content items, and the occasional random tweets about basketball uniforms. Um, I always love when I, when I randomly toss one out like that and then because I don't have like the notifications or whatever turned on. So I'll like toss something out there and then I wake up the next day and I'm like, Oh wow. Lots of people agreed slash disagreed slash commented. Um, for a second there for where I thought you were saying that, that you texted us that you weren't at the game as if we didn't already know. Can I just tell you that that was the saddest that Dave's ever been at a tailgate? I think in part, which it kind of, it, it does actually sort of kick off our discussion here in part because you know, a lot of folks were busy and it was just me and let's be real. Dave, Dave only kind of tolerates me. Um, but don't, don't, don't answer that Dave. Just leave it, leave it alone. Uh, My mic's but, broken. Can't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> but, but also too, because like, I mean, I don't know if I've ever been around Charlottesville before a football game and there just been any less, I mean, ah, man, even that last London season, even the two and 10 Broncos season, as we were kind of talking about Dave, like, like, it just there was just this weird sort of vibe in the air, and it was like I'm not saying that there that there weren't plenty of you out there who came and had a great time before kickoff, maybe even after I don't know, but man, even before like you know, there was like nobody around, it was early, it just it just it did not have good, the vibes were not good. Let's just say they were like weird, that. like you know, it was, very it was strange. like if you know I got there, um, drove by the stadium like I always do. I've got to come the same route to go to the tailgate spot, superstition, um, and there were more people in the East and West slots than there are normally. So like all the big money people came out like probably cause it's homecomings and they've got a bunch of people coming in, but yeah, like the, the far out lots 
where people aren't, you know, where the more rabid fans are, they were kind of slacking. So, I mean, it's a noon game. Hard to get up for that. Um, and it's like the third early game in a row. But, yeah, it, the tailgating scene, like, honestly, I thought the crowd in the game, once it filled in, was more than I was expecting based on what yeah. I'd seen pregame. Yeah. Ferber, you definitely picked the right week to be in Baton Rouge um, watching much better football. Um, By one of the teams. <laughs> well, that's fair. But, hey, that's still better than, you know. All right. Did you – I don't know if I know this. Did you watch the full game back? What did I have. I have rewatched. So you yeah. watched the whole thing. My condolences. Um, I mean, I kind of have to to do a take two. No, that's fair. That's fair. I, I just didn't know if you just watched the condensed or you watched the whole thing. So yeah. the question I have is, like, as you're watching this and, the, and UVA jumps out to a lead, I mean, you had to be like, wait, what the heck? How did this happen? Because that's one of those things that had to be even more mystifying in that situation. Like, right, if you, if you, if you sort of ingested the game that way, like knowing the result and then watching it unfold. Because... I mean, there were parts in that first quarter where I thought they were going to blow them out. I legitimately thought they were about to blow them out, and then Brent and then Brennan fumbles, and everything changed. And I have told the um, the Maryland story. You know, the dude, you know, the kid from Maryland is wide open, drops the ball. UVA all of a sudden comes back, and the game is completely different. That's what it felt like to me. Like that thing was going one way, and then suddenly it was just not. Um, how was it to to sort of? see it knowing what was going to happen yeah and i mean to be honest with you i was following the game from afar on my phone so like i had the same real time you know thoughts that you did which was like 10 nothing early that's a great thing not just because you're up and you know louisville's playing with the backup quarterback but they've had these issues with starts you know and it's kind of been referenced a lot this week um and and they did a good job of kind of like just coming out, getting a field goal on the first drive, nice long kick, you know, that's good. Going down and scoring um, again, you know, getting some stops. It's like, okay, like, you know, it's not perfect, but they look like they're heading towards a win here. Obviously get back down and then fumble. Um, but I mean, to be honest with you, like, um, and I don't want to have like a whole conversation about whether momentum is real and all that stuff. Um, to me, like my takeaway on the rewatch was like, that fumble was very, I mean, like, you know, in the take two, I always say like the play that changed the game. There's like a subcategory, right? I mean, it, it's never been easier to choose one. Like it was, that was the moment that the game turned, but in fairness, like, you know, and I thought that Tony Elliott did a really nice job on his coach's show yesterday, going through the sequence after that and like how they just couldn't get back on track after the fumble because they fumbled and correct me if I'm wrong, but they didn't give up any points. Correct. Yes. So they got the ball back and then they went three and out like, twice in a row or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, my thing is this, like the fumble was a huge play and, and clearly like kept UVA from being able to sort of bury Louisville, but a good team would be able to shrug that off and keep playing. Like even a three and out, like you can't have a three and out and be like, well, the game's over now. Like, because we're just not able to overcome that. And like a, a good team has three and outs and then you forget that they happened because like they, they don't matter. The team overcomes them. And this team just hasn't been able to be consistent enough um, when they need to be, you know, yeah. and it, that's, it's showing up in the point totals, right? Like, I mean, 17 points, they moved the ball. They, they had 300 something passing yards. Like that's, I would say the passing game when I rewatched it, you know, not really knowing what it was going to look like. It was much better to me in this game than it has been. There's still like a lot of work to be done, but they're, they just looked more cohesive. Guys were open more. Brennan had some nice throws, had some ones that he definitely wants back. Um, but they have too many negative plays. I mean, there's just too many yeah. sacks, too many turnovers, too many bad throws. Um, to be consistent enough to to win a game like against anybody and, and then obviously the defense kind of reverted back to some of the things they, they didn't give up like a ton of like huge plays or anything but like they just weren't as good and and you know they're kind of i think the last two games have shown a bit of a regression to the mean for them which is pretty much what i expected would happen like i'm not surprised i think that they have the capability of being good but they're not going to be good all the time um and, you know, that's okay. That's where they're expected to be. The offense just continues to have the same problems. And, I mean, we can sit here and talk about buy-in or, like, the scheme. And it, it, there's not one thing. It, there's a lot of different factors at play here, and I think we've seen that throughout the season. Yeah. I think what's – so, to, to Ferber's point, so the first three Louisville drives, they gained nine total yards, right? 
UVA, it's not just, and I think this is the part that is so hard to sort of stomach, right? So Brennan fumbles, and it's, you know, that's, you know, like I said, they've gained nine total yards. They're driving again, okay? Um, because they had that nice pass to Keaton for 15 yards, and they had another pass to Keaton for another 16. All right, it's second and six, and Brennan has rushed for 10 yards, and he's already got the first down, and he fumbles at the 18-yard line, right? To your point, Louisville comes down. They don't do anything with it. it they just gain 25 yards or whatever, so they maybe flip field position or whatever. And then UVA goes three and out. And I don't know, man. It was like it was like what it was like somebody unplugged them. I mean, not just like from a from an execution standpoint, but from a everything standpoint. And you're right, good teams would shrug that off and they'd be, be like, "All right, back. cool, we dodged a bullet defense. We dodged a bullet. Stop. Let's go." Yeah, exactly. But we the saw the same thing up. against ODU. They had yeah. a million chances to win that game, and they just yeah. couldn't do it because they just couldn't be consistent enough and take care of the ball. I mean, ultimately, like being good is not just. I mean, this is the thing I think folks get so frustrated with, you know, because of last year and everything. Being good is not just as simple as like, "Oh, this is a good player," right? You have to still go out there and do the thing, and you got to do the thing a bunch of times, and that's the thing that UVA is so plagued by right now, which is like, yeah, um, you know, you might have an opportunity. Okay, wow, man, Brennan really looks much better today, but dudes are dropping passes, or dudes are committing penalties, right, or dudes are fumbling, including Brennan, right? Like, there's a whole bunch of things that sort of have to go right, even for you to have the opportunity to make good on being good, right? And Dave, we've talked a lot in recent weeks. Um, about this idea that, you know, the coaching change um, and the kind of way it sort of played out um, is so different from a lot of other coaching changes because historically either you're good and your coach leaves because he went to take a better job, so things are cooking, or your coach was terrible and he gets fired because he's terrible and everybody's excited to do something different. Hello, Duke. How are you? All right. Um, there's been a lot of conversation, you know, in, in the, in the zeitgeist in the UVA zeitgeist in the last whatever about this. And this is something we've, we've been really banging the drum on for a while. Uh, I, I just, I guess I'm at the point where I'm like, dude, it's October, right? Like we're not talking about like week one or two. I mean, we're halfway through the season and if folks are still not buying in, why are they playing in the games? Right? Like I'm at the point where I'm like, as a coach, as a coaching staff, Part of me thinks that, like, if you have guys who aren't buying in, and I don't care who they are, but if you have guys that aren't buying in, you have guys who are, you need to start playing the dudes who are. You need to start, like, trying to, you know, get your actual football team because ultimately, like, if you do have some guys who, for whatever reason, aren't really all in, like, that's their call. But it's or just your call not executing. The field. Like, if guys, I mean, they can be bought in all the way. If you're not catching that's fair. passes or whatever, then they should also be benched. That's like, fair. That's very <laughs> fair. Dave, what do you think? Do you How do you feel about this whole, you know, buy-in conversation? I mean, I wrote about it a little bit, but it's, uh, I don't buy it. Like, I mean, it might be a player or two who's not bought in, but, um, I mean, not to rehash it, but if you look at the offense, there's, you know, most of the offense didn't play last year except for a few wide receivers, you know. KT Wicks and Brennan are basically it with camp out. Um, so if anyone's not bought in, it's not the guys who never got to play last year. Right. So that's a short list of who it could be if there's someone not bought in. And ultimately those are all guys with some experience. They should call the other one out if one of them's not bought in. So that's to me, that's on the team. If, if there's a guy and you're right, if the coaches don't know they're bought in, the player should. So yeah, I, I think it's more, yeah, I just don't get it. Like defensively, I can't. It makes no sense to think people aren't bought in because that whole nobody's side of the really saying better. Yeah. Um, but yeah, offensively, it's a like I said, it's a it's a very short list who it could be, and because of that, it's hard for me to. It's either a a uh, you know if it is if it is true, then it's as much of a reflection of the leadership on the player side as it is on the coaches because the coaches don't know these players as well as the players do because they've been with them for a few years. So, um, I don't know. I just think it's, there's some of that. I'm sure like no one wants to be two and four, right? No one wants to lose a Duke. No one wants to barely beat ODU, lose at Illinois, lose a bad Louisville. Um, but yeah, it, it's a little surprising to me to, and I think Justin kind of nailed on it. Um, you know, there's some players, everyone gets set down if they make a mistake, except for a few. Um, 
you know, in Brennan's defense, he played a good game compared to how he put how he had played. And, you know, I think even Des at post game talked about how it was his best game. He had a 71% completion percentage. Well, he did because he, he ate about four balls. He should have thrown away. Um, so you can't just look at numbers, you know? So no one's playing perfect in this team. I don't think they need to, they just need to play better. And, uh, you know, kind of going back to what you guys were talking about with the fumble, you could feel the, it was a weird energy, right? Like, I think all the fans are nervous. Oh God, is the offense going to do anything? And then they came out and they made plays and were roll, moving with the ball. And there was almost this like, no one spoke about it because it didn't mess it up. But as soon as that fumble happened, you could just feel the whole air change. And the team, you know, even watching the game back, the team got tighter from that point forward. I think the next drop, there was two drops on that three and out. Um, and from that point forward, it was just, you know, drops and holding onto the ball, little things um, and little things add up. So I don't think the team's that far off from producing points. But anytime they fail, like it just, they don't have the ability to, to kind of shake that off and move on. Um, and if there, if there was one major, you know, last year's team could come out and be terrible for a half and they did it quite often. You know, I think it's revisionist history to think they lit the scoreboard up for four quarters. You know, they'd have a quarter or even a half where they didn't move the ball at all, but they had the confidence it would start kicking. And this team seems to be the exact opposite. I want to go on record here. I, I, I guess what on this whole, where I, where I come down on this whole thing is like this. And we kind of had a little bit of a conversation. I got to start stop hitting uh, stop on the recording because we were talking last week and we were kind of going through sort of like I don't know some after like non non not for public consumption thoughts. And I'm and I'm and I made a point about how it could have been that when when Tony Elliott decided to take this job that he thought it was going to be one thing. And then as he got into it, he realized maybe it was going to be something different. Because if you if you had been paying it like really close attention, or even if you go back now and see some of his comments, he talked about guys with you know one foot in the in, in one foot in the water, and not whatever. Um, and I genuinely think that it could have been like even gone as far as like impacting some of his staffing decisions, right? Guys, you know, he chose to to fill specific roles and that kind of thing. But the bottom line, I think, is is that like is the buy-in thing real? I think it's real to a point. I think what what they're asking these guys to do is not like they're not asking it some asking guys to do something that is like so far off the beaten path that it's ridiculous. All right, no offense to Virginia fans here, but like it wasn't that long ago you had a coach who like wouldn't let people practice until they warmed up right. Okay, so let's kind of back down on like trying to like I don't know micromanage whether the coaching staff is doing the right thing. All right. The dude literally burned, had a barrel full of UVA clothes that he burned, okay? Like, dudes had to actually earn the V-Sabers. And I get that there's a certain part of people that are like, oh, that sounded cool. Um, but if you look back on it, was it really? Like, it's, it's kind of, it's just, some of that stuff in hindsight, it, it, when you get some further distance from it, you're like, okay, maybe that was a little bit over the top, right? But I, 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 I'm... I'm not sure I buy the whole idea that like the, there there are legitimately dudes on the team who aren't bought in, um, who are continuing to just play, um, because I think that their their teammates would make that that life very difficult. For yeah, them. Gary Bertier kicking his uh, teammate you know? off the team or whatever. I mean, you know, that's, <laughs> you know. <laughs> what was that dude's name? Randy or whatever? Ray or something. Ray, yeah. yeah. Or whatever. Ray. No, I think, I think um, too, like part of the problem is like people think buy-in is like guys are just not trying. And I don't right. think that's what it is. I think it's more like they're not responding to the teaching. Correct. And I think your point about that in the, is really well taken, right? Like if they're not responding, figure out a different way to make them, you know, to make them get it, do something different. And I understand you know, I, I, I realize I'm bouncing around here, but like, I, I want to talk a little bit about the whole, I don't want to talk about last year thing, because on the one hand, like I get it. You know what? I don't want to talk about last year either. I wish I was covering a team that, you know, was talking about a team, whatever that was doing better than last year. Unfortunately, this one is it right. And I think it's, it's kind of crazy to think that like people aren't going to look back, especially given the circumstances that coaching change, that people aren't going to look back and go, man, what, why, why, why did they break the offense? What's wrong? And like, that's because people don't like think about this the same way like coaches do. 
But you know what they get? They get the fact that the football that is being played looks bad. They understand a bad product when they see it. And if you don't think they do, look at the stands. Like, the, there, there was no juice, right? Like, there hasn't been. And part of that is because right now, it's, it's kind of bad. And ultimately, like, that's their job. Their job is to get the good players to do something better than they did. Or if they aren't doing it well, to do it better. And they're not. I mean, you know, say what you want about Bronco and some of his weirdness, right? But, like, week to week, that dude would, like, fix the ship a little bit. Hey, we're going to work on X. And then X would clean up, right? And so, like, I understand folks don't want to talk about last year. It's their job to make sure that they don't need to. Like at the yeah, bottom that's what line, I was going to say if they were good, we wouldn't be talking. Exactly, about it. if they were good, like <laughs> man, they're doing it different and it's and it's still great. But like they're doing it different and it's terrible, right? And I don't I, listen. I'm I've I've we've talked about like I think you know Brennan doesn't look you know in terms of mechanics in terms of his comfort level. He just has not looked to me like the same quarterback. Now there have been times right where he does, but he doesn't do it consistently. And he's the guy you know like like Tony said the other day. Like everybody looks at five, right? Everybody looks to five. And he's, you know, there's definitely been some fumbling issues. That's not just specifically to him, but it definitely includes him. Um, I think the kid himself has a high enough standard that, you know, he's he's he fully understands it more than than we do, right? But like realistically, it is not only completely understandable that people compare it to last year, but if that was the case, you probably should have taken the job, right? Because they had a really great offense last year in spots that necessarily didn't lead to them having a great season, right? But now you've you sort of have fixed the part that was broken and you inadvertently broken the part that wasn't broken. And so now it's just, you know, the defense makes has its moments, right? Definitely plays better as as the, you know, Ferber's um PFF piece kind of pointed out. Like they definitely have things that they're considerably demonstrably better at than last year. But it's not enough to carry a football team, especially if that team's not going to score like what one touchdown from from the like 10 minute mark or whatever the first quarter on and i mean even the first touchdown they scored was on a free play <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah exactly i joked in the in the press box i i was like tell brennan every play is a free play <laughs> yeah. um sometimes it looks like the way they're calling the plays is like every it was the best play. ball and i and i do i guess we should let's let's i mean again i i don't want to harken i don't want to harp on this too much but like the whole don't i don't want to talk about last year thing i get I get why he said it. I understand why he said it. I don't think he should have said it. And he certainly should not have said it in, in, in the manner in which he did. Because I think what he did was he gave his detractors even more opportunity to throw stuff back at him. Right? Um, because while yeah, I understand what he means, but like I, I don't think the general fan who is already frustrated. I've never, I just have never seen a coach. Even Bronco in the 2-10 and ten year. Like... I've never seen a coach be as like quickly sort of under the microscope as this one has been. And it's just, it, it was a, it was one of those like, Oh man, that's, that's not going to make it better. You know? Yeah. I took the last year thing. Like, I mean, he said it to the media, but I think that was more for the locker room. Yeah. Um, I think that's how I took it too. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think, think he's it has tired of said. hearing about it in the building. Yeah. Okay. It's, and you know, it's, it's brought up every, every time he's available to the, the media, you know, last year we did this, but no. And, it's not last year. There's five new offensive linemen, all new running backs, you know, new wide receivers. Mish is playing a different, you know, playing more. It's not the same team. Um, you know, you just look, I mean, not to make a direct comparison, but, you know, if you're an NFL fan, like the Bengals offense was ridiculously good last year. They got most of the guys back this year and they're not. Um, so it doesn't take much to affect it. But, um, yeah, I don't mind it. I think the scrutiny thing is interesting and um, – you know, I, t- I texted you guys about it, but I was curious. So I went back and looked at old message board posts from Broncos first year. And it definitely were, you know, early on when things were going bad, it was, it was less severe than we're seeing now. Um, like there weren't a whole lot of fire, the coaches things first couple of weeks, but by the end of the first year, um, even prior to the Virginia tech game, there were a lot of people calling for an eye to be fired and Bronco to stop with all the culture stuff and just concentrate on winning. Um, so I think there's always that that subset of uh, fans who are going to just vent their frustration. Yeah, message um, board geniuses, you know, that's across <laughs> the board. Yeah, I mean, we got receipts if you guys want to say it wasn't. You didn't do that before, but you did. Um, so I don't think it's out of the uh, – I don't think it's that unusual having looked back. Um, maybe it's a little earlier this time, but there is a 
there is a weird disconnect. You know, I will say like, I don't uh, think you, you had people who were like ready to throw away the coach already um, with Bronco. But the thing I did notice is I don't see many, as many people stepping up and saying, no, I think this is the right thing as we did with Bronco early. Um, Not as many people buying into the culture change because of, probably because you you went London to Bronco versus Bronco to Tony. Um, so I'll say there are less people like willing to give them the benefit of the doubt than there are um, a difference in detractors. Yeah. I would also like to add a couple things. First, first uh, I, I totally understand like why he would make the, it's not last year comments. He's probably tired of hearing about it. And like he said, and this is something that I think we said on this show, they couldn't run Dr. Bob's offense if they wanted to. He doesn't have the playbook, you know, unless they hired somebody from his staff to be the offensive coordinator. And I'm not going to litigate all that. And let's remember that playbook has a double pass right next to the victory formation. That's so true. Yeah. You might want to move some of those plays around. Um, but yeah. Um, so like, I get all that, like, and obviously I think it was a moment of frustration, which he pretty much said right then and there. Um, and maybe I think it's, yeah, I, I think that what he said about like, it doesn't carry over is very true. Like, it's clear, like guys, if you think you can just come in and coast off what you did before, like it's a different season, it's a different team. Like that's true. Even if there aren't staff changes, you know, things change, but having said all that, uh, the, the man is not shy to tell us about what happened to Clemson and this ain't Clemson either. So Aim like, into you, that, bro. you're not going to have Clemson players. It's not the Clemson culture. It's a different place. So, like, what you did at Clemson is not going to work here. And the, and the coach, in his opening remarks as the coach after he got the job, said, I don't want to do another Clemson. I want to make Virginia, Virginia. And, and that I applaud that. I hope he does. Um, but so far, I mean, it's a lot of, like, I don't want to hear about what happened last year here, but also, like, let me tell you about what happened in the 2011 Orange Bowl. Yeah. Or, you know, exactly. it's like, I get, I get that you have to draw on that stuff, and that was a response to a question was asked, but, like, I don't think the players probably want to hear any more about it either. You know, it's like, like the idea that like, and and this is going to sound bad, but like the idea that like culture is the reason that Clemson won. I'm not saying there's not some truth to that, but they won because they had good players and good schemes. And he's, he's partially responsible for that. But like, you know, like they didn't culture their way to a great season last year, like with different players. So like, I, like what happened? I thought like the culture would be able to over and, and obviously they had a decent season, but like their offense was much, much worse. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the, the Jimmy's and the Joe's not the, you know, the nose. Tr- and it's like, I, I mean, I, I'll just tell you, like, I'm not somebody that responds a lot to like the, um, I just personally, I'm, I'm probably pretty cynical. Like I don't respond a lot to like, you know, the platitudes about like, Hey, like, you know, we, you know, we, we go out there and like, you gotta be able to do all these things like emotionally to be able to win a game. And it's like, and make a decision to win. And Bronco did this too. So it's not like a Tony Elliott thing. The guys don't think that way. They like, how do I go out and make this play? Like <laughs> it's, it's much more simple than that. Um, and I'm, you can't have no culture. Like Alabama has a good football culture, but Alabama also has a scheme that they coach to. And like, you know, they're, it's cohesive, you know, and the best players play and all that stuff. Right. Lastly, to Dave's point about like, just like the, the vibe around the, the, the team. I think there were plenty of people that were kind of like out early, like early, maybe earlier than I thought that was fair. And I still kind of think that. Um, my thought early on, like before football was played was like, he's going to show people that they're overreacting to like the little things, right. About pictures from the cookout and all that stuff. Um, they haven't, there hasn't been anything. And I'm not saying that it's not going to work out. I'm just saying so far, there isn't anything to really hold like, except for maybe the defense's incremental improvement. There isn't really anything that has happened since Tony Elliott was hired here that's like demonstrably better than what Bronco was doing, unless you really, really don't like black cleats. Like, <laughs> the recruiting is not better. Other than that one weekend when he like signed, you know, and we, to be determined how good the players are, but there was that one weekend where he closed basically the entire offensive lawn class and, you know, got the grad transfers all in that, what, 
a week. Yeah, there period. was a good run there, that like getting guys it. like Cam Butler. We were like, okay, like you know, and and I give him credit for that, but I don't think I think Bronco could have gotten similar talent players. Like I mean, like just from what Bronco was doing while Bronco was the coach here. So yeah, like right. I like I think people were maybe not giving him a fair shake early on, but he hasn't, and the staff haven't done anything to this point to prove those people wrong. So there's they're even more out than they were before. You know what yeah. I mean? Like yeah, the football has been bad. The recruiting has not been like ex- exciting, even if the players aren't that bad. You know what I mean? So like, yeah, what are people in the game day experience is the same. So it's like, what are people supposed to get excited about? Right. I will I, say in his defense, like Virginia fans and look, this is not just a Virginia problem, but Virginia fans are very quick to take a reason not to come support mm-hmm. football. And that's what I thought it was at first. You know, and then like the I was like, eventually the play will catch up and we'll be like it did with Bronco. Right. Like people were like, I'm out, you know, immediately. And I think eventually some people came back, you know, more people got on board with it. Um, But, yeah, you're right. I mean, I think people were like I said, I thought people were being a little bit harsh. And even when he was a candidate for the job, people were kind of like acting like he was a nobody. And I was like, he's right. More than qualified, yeah. you know, Um couple things first I, I love the point about the Clemson thing because I think that is a little bit of a double-edged sword for him like yes your experience at Clemson is a big part of why you got this job it's it was always going to be you know and it's it the was, only place that he's been really but it exactly that's the that's the thing right it's the only it's the real only experience that he really has to draw from so yeah it is the thing that it's the thing that led to his success and led to him having the opportunity and at the same time you know, he 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 has a thing about they's and we's that I've noticed. And I'm I'm really not trying to pick nits here. I'm just I'm yeah, trying a lot to of that stuff subconscious level. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and 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 but he he will refer to, to UVA as they a lot. They did this and they did that, and then he'll say we. Um and the and who the we is sometimes will change. Now I I realize I'm I'm again I'm picking nits here, but my point is is that like part of his you know, it's like we talked in 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 a lot of ways about Bronco in in the two and ten season, treating that as like BYU year, I guess what was it, eleven or twelve, instead of like he UVA literally year said one, that out loud. Right? Yeah, and I think in some ways Tony coaches this like it's an extension of Clemson, like this is the university, it's like Clemson University at Charlottesville, right? And I, again, I'm not trying to be like inflammatory here. I'm I'm being real. Like I genuinely think that the the way he when he talks about the model program and stuff, he essentially, he wants to sort of recreate in a slightly different way what he already had. And the reality is, is that that's just not the way it works. To, to what Ferber said earlier about, you know, his first line in that press conference, he doesn't want to do another Clemson. Well, that's good because you're not going to be able to, right? I, I think the Clemson Cavalier thing, right, that he, he does tend to talk about Clemson a lot. I understand it's where he draws his, a lot of his experience from. But you've got to be able to sort of take what those experiences were and process them in a way that so like people aren't hearing about Clemson. I'm going to be honest with you, right? The folks I talk to around the program, they'll tell you straight up that there are people in not just the program itself but around UVA athletics who are kind of tired of hearing about Clemson, right? And I get it, right? I understand that that's where he draws his experience from, and I understand that that's where his success you know, was. And I understand that like when he came up with what he wanted to do, he drew from a lot of that. I get that. But you can't come out here talking about model program, this and that. And then at the same time, you know, do some of the things that have that have been out there. Right. I think some folks are a little too sensitive about some things. I think sometimes, you know, there are certain, um, you know, molehills that turn into mountains. Right. But I do think that when you try to drill into like the what a coach thinks and, and why he thinks what he thinks and how that sort of extrapolates out. I think that matters, and I do think that there is a that he he very well may have a Clemson problem, right? And not just in the sense of like what he talks about, but in the in the way he he kind of just expects them to. It almost seems like he kind of expects them to sort of just do it. That you know that 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 guys are just supposed to like all of a sudden have this culture. They're supposed to have this attitude. They're supposed to you know, and he seems almost like taken aback that they don't, and. I, my, I mean, ultimately, man, you got to build it, right? Like, I understand that, like, you thought maybe you were coming into a different situation, but the the one you got is the one you got. And I think there's a very real chance. And then, Dave, I want you to sound off on some of this. Like, I think there's a very real chance that some of these guys who were in the program for a while, like, yes, they're very talented, 
right? But sometimes you need a sea change when you have a sea change. Like it's one thing to switch schemes and systems and have guys, you know, who have been steeped in another way and another type of, you know, whether it's um, another um, specific type of scheme or whether it's another type of culture or what have you. Like it might need to take until he has his own dudes in there before it actually works, right? Like there are countless examples of both of these things being true, right? Where there are coaches who come in and they're able to take somebody else's dudes and do a lot with them. And then there are coaches who it takes a while for them to, to sort of get their own guys in there, right? To get guys in there who only know it the way they taught it, right? I think what's very interesting about this is that like, if you look around like the defensive staff, right? Like they seem to be doing a really good job of making some nice progress pretty quickly. And they did it with what? Largely a bunch of dudes who had not gotten a lot of seat time under the previous regime, right? I don't think that's an accident. I think there's a direct cor- correlation there. I genuinely think that a lot of the reason why you're able to see some guys making some plays is because those dudes didn't have to worry about playing a lot under the old scheme, under the old system, under the old coaches. Dave, what do you think? Do you or where, where you come down on all this? Yeah, I mean, there's some truth to that part about the defense, but honestly, there's same same number of dudes on the defense who played last year are playing this year, and this as there are on the offense. It's four or five. Um, so it's just a you know. So I, I don't know what the disconnect is there, but yeah, 100 percent agree. Like the Clemson stuff, I think it was fine. You know, leading up to the season, all that stuff. We need to know what he's drawing on, right? And it's a good That's example. I mean, they've been very, very successful. So it's yeah. not like I'm going to sit here and right. be like, you know, it's right. not like talking about like NC State or something. You know? Yeah. But now I think you're you're six games into the season. You know, it's at least in your post game pressers and your weekly press conferences, it shouldn't be mentioned multiple times. Um, now, I, in his defense, like when he brings up Clemson, it's using, um, it's using them as an example of success, right? So maybe if Virginia could have a good game, he could then instead of referring to Clemson, be like, "Hey, remember what we did against Georgia Tech?" Um, that's what it should look like. Right now, he doesn't have that. Um, you know, it was the first half of Richmond, maybe. Um, but yeah, I think if there's one thing. I will criticize them on is I, I think it, as you have already, like I think it's time to let the Clemson thing go. Um, at least, yeah, at least in the volume it's coming out now. Um, and when you say Clemson and we like, like he's got a little disadvantage because Bronco could say when we did stuff in the past, it meant we as in the whole staff I brought with yeah. me. Um, and now when he, when, when Tony says we, it's clearly, yeah, me and Clemson. And um, he is a Clemson alum too. Smell. So like that that probably changes the way he thinks about it a little bit. Yeah. Too. It's not like he was and some again, mercenary. You know, and, and winning helps with all this. And he's not doing that now. You know, everything looks you know, the magnifying glass is just different when you're not winning. Um Yeah. I think um, like the one thing I do want to say just real quick is that like all the stuff I brought up is fixable and he's a smart guy, and I think like an apparently pretty contemplative person, like I think yeah, and if you surround people with like you surround yourself with people that are honest with you, they'll tell you this stuff. Like, you know what I mean? Like, hey, like, you know, even with we were talking about it a few weeks ago, like calling players out, I feel like that's backed off a little bit already. Like, you know what I mean? Like, not that he's lying and like about stuff and saying everything's great, but like, I don't feel like it's as antagonistic maybe as it was before. And like, you know, you just can't afford to, you talk about culture, like, you can't afford to like lose your locker room just because you want to make a point. Like, you know what I mean? I think he, yeah. he's sort of starting to like, you have to remember first time head coach too. Like he's never yeah. really sat in this seat before and had to answer these questions. Um, so it's a learning experience. And I think, you know, I hope that like, you know, this time next year, he'll be like, yeah, I kind of like, you know, did some things I, I, I regret and like, you know, learning experience and you know, it is what it is. You move on. Yeah. One thing real quick before we move to hoops. Um, I thought it was interesting. So from the beginning of the season, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to drill into something here and just to, to sort of make a point. So at the beginning of the season, what, what they wanted to do from a post-game standpoint was very different. So historically, always, you get the head coach, and then if they're coordinators, whatever, and then you get players, okay? What Tony wanted to happen was you get the coordinators first, and then you get players, and then you get the actual press conference with the head coach. Okay. 
And when he would do this, he would he would always go and shower and then he put on a suit. Like he put the suit back on, right? And he did that for the first couple games. This time he did not do that. This time they changed everything up, right? So this time instead of getting coordinators first after several minutes, I mean they were there. I mean they were there quick. And then we were supposed to get players next, and then we got Tony next, and then he walked in still in his his uh, game day look, right? Now, again, I'm not trying to tell you that everything I've just told you matters in the bigger scheme. All I'm saying is that, like, sometimes, what's the, the old adage, right? It's like you, everybody has a play until they get punched in the mouth. And I wonder if the way that the start of the season, the first half has gone, it, it's kind of punched him in the mouth a little bit. Because... I think he did have an idea about what he wanted this thing to look like. And I think he had this idea about the model program. And I actually think that it's good to have those aspirations, to have a clear understanding of what it, what it should look like and such. But sometimes, you know, when you, the conditions on the ground will change your plan. And I'm curious to see coming out of the bye week, what changes we see. I don't expect that you're going to see, um, you know, a dramatically different offense. I don't think you're going to see dramatically different person. I'm not, that's not what I mean. But from a, I genuinely do think that right now what plagues them beyond everything else, it's a mindset. And it's like a, it, there's like a, it's like, I'm not saying it's like, oh, the vibes are bad. But man, the vibes are bad. And they got to figure out a way to sort of get everybody pointing in the right direction. And I know that that sounds simplistic. I understand that that sounds like, you know, a nebulous thing that people just say about sports. But on some level, I think that these kinds of things matter. I think the kids are probably as attuned to like the little things now than they probably ever have been. And you might say like, oh, a lot of this is just because kids, you know, now have NIL money and it's changed things. And maybe some guys thought um, that their stuff didn't stink, whatever, however you want to frame it. But like ultimately it's October and like, if you want to have success at the next level, if you want to do uh, big things, you got to start performing. And you might have thought it was, you know, you can talk about last year all you want. Isn't that's not going to get you anywhere? Like they got to start doing a better job of not only getting the stuff out of the kids, but the kids got to start doing a better job of getting it out of themselves. I will say one thing: I think this team could use, and it maybe it's a stupid thought, but they could use a game against a team they're not expected to beat. Um, well, yeah, that's you know, true. you know, uh, uh, maybe the Miami game is it, you know, where they, where people are like, well, I, I don't know. The problem is, hopefully, this the, hopefully they weak, treat the you know? Georgia Tech game that way. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> better. They better treat but, everyone like that. But now. yeah, I think, I think you're, there's something to that because it kind of focuses like your team yeah. a little yeah. bit more. But like, yeah. I mean, at this point, like if they went into that Louisville game thinking they were going to walk over them, like that's ridiculous. Yeah. If, right. That's what, like, what you were saying, Brad, about like, you know, it's October. It's like you had your wake up call at Illinois. Like that was, that should have been the game where it's like, whoa, like we all got to take a step back and like realize that like Tony Elliott has said, like this doesn't carry over and we have yeah. to go back to work. But they took that wake up call, then had another one the next week in a win, <laughs> then another one, and then another one. Too many like, wake up calls is not a yeah, good look. Stop hitting snooze. <laughs> stop hitting snooze. That's good too. Um, stop hitting snooze. That's great. Um, all right, let's move on to hoops. Um, so, we are less than a month away from Virginia's season opener against um, North Carolina Central, uh, November the 7th in Charlottesville, 9 o'clock at night on the East Coast. Man. Dude, I think the first two games. The first two games are at 9. The third game is at 8. Um, so, yeah, some some late night ones coming. There's a 9.30 game in there uh, in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. There's another, um, and there's another 8.30 in there on a Tuesday night. Sometime a nine o'clock at Pitt on a Carolina is a nine o'clock game. Carolina is a nine o'clock game. Um, so yeah, there's gonna be some late ones. Um, the NC State games at nine o'clock tip in Charlottesville. Um, but anyway, meanwhile, back at the ranch. Um, so I think it's safe to say that, like I said before, like this is a very experienced, deep team. Um, they bring back basically everybody. Um, they add Ben Vanderplas, the uh, transfer from Ohio. Uh, they add one of the better recruiting classes that Tony Bennett's ever signed. I, and I love the under the radar. I, I, how can a top 10 class or whatever it was run under the radar? But these dudes sort of have like, you, you, because they just have so much back. Um, you know, I, I know that there's a lot of conversation 
um, leading into the, every season, right? Like who's going to play, who's not going to play, who's part of the rotation, who's not. Um, I mean, Tony legitimately ha- could have what a twelve man. I mean, that's not realistic, okay? But like realistically, these dudes could earn time. They're just, I mean, that's just not the way it's going to work, right? Because um, you're going to play Clark Gardner, Beekman, Franklin, Vanderplas. Um, I'm going to skip some of them. Shedrick, uh, that's six. All right, so then you need, so like, you know, uh, McNeely's going to play. Um, you probably think pretty Poppy. strongly that um, <laughs> Poppy's going to play, and you're probably going to put, um, you know, Chain in there, right? But like, to me, Trout, I mean, that dude has a skill set that none of these dudes have. Um, and then you've got Bond um, and Dunn, who I think are both really nice pieces. And so, like, that's a that's a lot of mouths to feed, man. That's like a lot. That's a lot of dudes. Um, so I guess, Dave, do you, are we wrong to think that this is the best returning team since the national title year? Um, since the national title year, I mean it's up there. I mean, I think it's got to be right. Like, yeah, because the COVID season team was pretty good. I mean, the twenty 20- that team, the COVID season team was like a top ten team. Yeah, Are they not. Yeah. yeah, but that was the that was the returning. That was. But the that was yeah, and that's right? your first yeah, and that's your first yeah. year with um with Hauser, and you weren't. Really yeah, no, sure. yeah, I was talking about the team, the season where they played in empty gyms with Hauser and Murphy and all those yeah. guys. Yeah, I mean, Murphy all those teams were good. late and. But I think when you factor in experience within the pack line, yeah, this is probably the the most talented team we've had since then. Um, it's, and it's and it's and for me, it's also you get the bonus of McNe- <laughs> Isaac actually playing in the pack line. I'm mean, I'm not comparing college to high school. I'm just saying from the scheme, like he understands what he's supposed to do. You know. Yeah, I think actually Tony was asked that question today at media day by um, by someone we know, um, and. Uh, he kind of he didn't even answer it, which makes me think, yeah, it's pack line. Well, I mean, I yeah, count. I think Tony just is a, at a different level with it because like Armand Franklin also played in the pack line. Oh, that's fair. Know. That's a good point. I had forgotten about that. And it, but it's like a, it's a slightly different version of it. Um, and and what you and that's true. And what but you need to do at that spot is a little different yeah. at this level. And he did fine. I mean, he wasn't terrible on defense. Right, yeah, he was fine. Yeah. yeah. Tony basically said, you know, because he had Jaden and Kihei there with him. He was, you know, because Jaden Gardner admitted first year in the pack line was hard for him. And Tony's like, look, he had college experience in the first line learning, first year learning our system was tough. It's really tough on first years, um, you know, out of high school. So take that as it for what it's worth. Well, all right. So then, Ferber, in terms of expectations, because, you know, a lot of, a lot of preseason talk is sort of centered around expectations. Um, you know, we haven't seen at this point the all ACC preseason stuff, at least as of yet. Um, what are your expectations for this team? I love the Josh Pastner bit where he's like, Carolina yeah. should, be should be number one and one, UVA should pick this yeah. be picked to win the league. Um, expectations just in terms of like where they are in the ACC, um, I would say I would have them top four, uh, just based on what they bring back. Um, I still have questions, you know, like about how it's all going to fit together. The rotation, we talked ad nauseum in the, in the spring about kind of like where they were in terms of, could this backcourt fit together and all that stuff. And I don't think that that's like a huge problem that's going to prevent them from winning, but I am interested to see how it looks. And the good thing is, you know, we're going to know pretty soon how good they are. Like, there's been plenty of years where they coasted through non-conference play and we really didn't get a good grasp of like what this team could do until a certain time. You talk about that Murphy Hauser team. They played Gonzaga that one game in like Texas or whatever it was. That was the, that was the game where we really got to find out like where they stack up against, I guess at that time, the best team in the country, they didn't win the title, but they were the number one team at that point. And it was pretty clear that, like, even if they got it together and were better, they weren't going to be, like, that good. You know what I mean? Like, they weren't going to be as good as, as Gonzaga or, you know, Baylor were. Um, and that kind of sets the sets the bar. And I think with, the like, the Vegas games and the Michigan game and all the other stuff that goes on in the first part of the season with this with the schedule, I think we're going to find out pretty quickly, like, what they can do. And obviously they will improve from where they are in December to where they are in March. But, um, 
as far as like where I think they line up, I think they're a top 25 team tied top four ACC. Um, I hesitate to go much further than that just because like, you know, we talked about this after the UMBC game and, and the, the team that followed up. I mean, that team brought back a team that was a one seed the year before with the exception of Devin Hall and, and Isaiah Wilkins pretty much. And, and then they added some pieces, obviously. Um, I felt pretty good about where that team's ceiling would be, you know, and where their floor is. And um, with this team, I feel like I kind of know where the floor is. I don't really know where the ceiling is. So I'm a little hesitant to say like, oh, I think they could like win a title um, because I just don't know if they have like the complementary pieces to do that. Um, but I do think that they they can be much better than they were last year, obviously. I, I think uh, if you think about Ferber just made a good point about the schedule and how. So so just to put this in context, so they get northern Iowa um, on the 14th as part. I guess that's technically not part of the main event. All right. So then they get. Baylor and I'd imagine that might be a challenge. I, I mean, I don't say, know how good Northern Iowa is, but they're usually pretty good. That's kind of where I was starting from is like, they're going to get Baylor. Sorry. They're going to get Northern Iowa and then they got to go to Vegas. Right. And they go to play Baylor. And then two nights later, they get either UCLA or, or Illinois. Right. But then they got Michigan and then they got that Florida state game, Florida state game, yep. that early, you know, December and ACC Houston. matchup. Yep. And then they get Houston at home. Um, before they go to Coral Gables. I mean, there's, you know, to have several ACC games before the start of the new year, right? It's going to have to happen quick. So if, given the schedule, I mean, they, they kind of need to have the experience they have. And I mean, if you look at, they've got what, two grad students in um, Clark and Vanderplas, right? You got a fifth year guy in, in Gardner, right? Um, you've got, You've got a couple of juniors in Beekman and Shedrick. I mean, honestly, Shedrick is probably, and I don't want to be like super uh, ridiculous, like preseason person here, but I feel like Shedrick is the guy we've been waiting for for a couple years to sort of really take that next step. And because of, you know, illness and injury, he just hasn't been able to. I think last year he sort of started that process. Um, he, if he, he, I'm not going to say like, he's the, the key to the season. You know, I'm going to be like that. One of those people, but like, I really do think that like his play could make a significant impact. Cause I feel like a lot of these other guys, you sort of know what you're going to get. Right. Shedrick is the guy who has a lot of talent, has not necessarily put it with production consistently yet. And I think if they're able to get that sort of production from him, considering the other pieces they have, these steadier sort of pieces, um, I mean, I think Vanderplas's ability to shoot the ball will help dramatically, but I'm also curious as to how often UVA can get away with playing Gardner and Vanderplas together. Um, so I don't know. I, I think it's going to be an interesting. It's going to be especially because you know you know you have to get things right before those Vegas games, right? Like you don't have like typically Tony likes to kind of tinker with things. He's you know kind of in the lab and he's like add a little bit of this and add a little bit but like this year's not gonna it kind of can't be one of those years Dave like he kind of has to sort of have a plan going in and stick to it in order to get him where they need to be um going to Vegas at least that's sort of the way it seems to me from looking at the schedule yeah I mean I think some of that's true but also I think he's going to have to tinker a lot with this team because you know if you take if you assume the starting five is going to be the same as last year and I, I, I think that's not locked in stone, but that's a safe assumption. Like if the season started tomorrow, it's going to be Kihei, Reese, Armand, Gardner, and and Shedrick, right? Um, that will change perhaps, but that's kind of where we are now. Um, you know, and how long that lineup stays on the floor essentially boils down to Shedrick staying out of foul trouble and one of the three guards being able to hit the three um, just to keep the defense honest. But you know, the reason I say he's got a tinker is you've got some great new pieces with with Vanderplast and Trout and McNeely and Ethan Bond and Dunn, who we haven't kind of mentioned. Um, and then Tane Murray, who you know, by all accounts has improved and worked on his game. But, but there's not a lot of, uh, not a lot of easy one for one subs um, from that starting five. So, you know, Virginia can go small, have Gardner. Yeah. You know, can they go small and have Gardner and Vanderplast? And um, there's a lot of different configurations. Um, and that's what I think is going to be the most interesting part of this this season, is I think the the rotation you see going into, you know, the last few weeks of the ACC play is going to be 
completely different than what you start with. And if it's not that, if it's not, it means that Armand, Reese, or Kihei have improved their shooting to a point where they can keep that better. Yeah, you know, I think we all agree that's probably the best starting fob defensively. Um, that that means they've improved their shooting enough for that the defensive team to kind of roll out every night. Um, I don't expect that to be the case, and it's going to be. You know, I know Tony didn't mention Trout and you know people he could see minutes for, but I think when you when you look at the game that the Gardner has, um, the game that Shedrick brings, and then Poppy, like the Trout brings something none of the other guys do. Uh, he can bring you size and stretch the court, um, unless Gardner really has developed a, a jumper. But you know, I'm I'm excited. Like it's it's almost too many options, which. We know historically with Tony, when he's got this many options, it still usually gets trimmed down to seven or eight guys. But um, maybe with the Italy trip and seeing these guys play and doing it like he does, he'll keep a little bit bigger rotation for for longer. Um, but yeah, I, that's a good. Point. I think you're right. He's not going to tinker. Uh, I mean, I think you're right and wrong. I think there's going to be a lot of tinkering just because I I have a hard time believing the the starting five we're expecting is going to be the one late in the season. Yeah. Well, I think what I would say in response to that is that like when I say tinker, I don't necessarily just mean like playing different guys. I'm saying like where he would like try different combinations for extended periods and then flip those, right? Like he would he he typically likes to to do some some funky stuff. I think what you're going to see though with this group is probably as true an option like a true definition of different guys in different nights. Like Tony, I think when he's, he's, I think he's happiest with his teams when he can put any sort of dudes on the floor and he knows what he's going to get from them. Right. Um, it's not necessarily just about moving chess pieces for him. It's about understanding what you're going to get from those guys. It's not about potential, right? It's about consistency and yeah. his most talented teams. When he, if he, even if he had some matchup stuff and he can move dudes around and he can, you know, put some different combinations out there and stuff. A lot of it came down to what was he going to get from him, right? And that's why Kihei was such a perfect addition in his in his freshman season, right? Because he consistently gave them exactly what Tony knew he needed for that group to be successful, right? And so I think what you're going to watch with this is like tinkering from the standpoint of like trying to see what happens. I don't think he's going to do that, but I think you're all you are going to see is that there will be guys who will play major minutes and then maybe not play much at all the next game. It's really going to be a matchup dependent sort of like who's got the hot hand sort of thing. And I think yeah. your your point about the Italy trip is so well taken because having the opportunity to, like we all know Tony Bennett is like an habitual like um, scouter, right? Like he is somebody who, he, he doesn't care if he evaluates a guy and the guy commits. He continues to evaluate that dude, right? He evaluates them beyond belief. Like he never really stops, right? And having that actual time with these guys so far in advance of the season to see them together, to see them playing real games and stuff. I think that was invaluable, um, especially with this specific group, because there are going to be so many different options out there in terms of how they can sort of um, answer the questions. I, I mean, I think you're, you're probably not going to see like wholesale, like this guy and this guy and this guy usually play together stuff, but I think you're going to see different dudes pulling minutes um, at different times. And it, it's probably, I mean, if we're going to be real, it's probably going to be one of the more frustrating seasons for us because we're going to be like, man, what's going on? Like, what, why, why is he doing that? Why is he doing this? You know, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. but you know, it's kind of like to our previous conversation, right? It's like, if they win, nobody, nobody's going to care. Um, but if they lose, we'll be talking about how they shouldn't play, uh, uh, Kihei and, and Reese too much together. Or Kihei and Reese and, and Armand too much together or whatever. It's because what we do. Yeah, yeah, and with yeah. all that and the schedule, I think it's going to create some, I don't want to say tension, but like people, they're going to lose some games. People yeah. are going to be like, what's going on? And it's like, that's, <laughs> everybody yeah. loses games. Like, you know, you work your way out of it. Yeah, if they don't lose some games with this schedule, they're going to be at one seat. I mean, it's a pretty good schedule. So, yeah, that's um, true. And the good thing um, is, we don't have to worry about like, I don't want to say, you never know what's going to happen, but like, you know, last year there's a lot of talk about like strength of schedule and the net and all that's like it shouldn't be a problem this year with the schedule. No. no. I mean, I think the one thing I'm excited about is, you know, every year there, you know, most years when you got new guys coming in, I think now with decade plus of Tony, we kind of know what what he likes out of the players. Um, 
So when you got new batches coming in, you know, we know we like guards who are smart and tough. And I think McNeely has that in spades. Um, and we know he likes guys who are long and athletic and, you know, can defend and kind of get to the rim. And I think in Dunn, you've a hundred percent got that in bond. I think you got that plus the little dog in them. Um, and then trout, honestly, if you look at it from what, you know, Tony likes trout probably has is the least likely of the four to do something to earn his trust quickly based on history, other than the fact that he's kind of a unicorn, right? Um, you know, I think he's stronger than Jay Huff was as a first year and you know, he's, he's skilled. So, I think you can make a case that any of the four first years are going to see playing time at some point. And if they get it, they might, they might, you know, get a little twinkle in Tony's eye where he wants to play him some more. Um, and I'm very curious to see how Vanderplas fits in because I don't know that you can play him with Gardner um, and, and keep defense to the level we want to. Um, and I honestly, I think he's a like his highlight film and everything I've seen from him. Like I'm encouraged by what I see for it from it but i see a lot of people thinking he's gonna be the guy who stretches and i don't know if he's like he's a good three-point shooter but he's not elite um you know honestly his numbers are a little worse than franklin's were coming over so you know if he can hit it i think he'll play a little more obviously but if he can't make the three consistently i don't know how you can play him and gardner together yeah um you know i what i find interesting about trout versus the trout versus um versus Jay Huff thing. I think Trout's experiences in the high school and sort of AU level, like I think the thing that people lose sight of with, with Huff is that he didn't really play the way guys typically do in the summer. Like he just, he just didn't, um, you know, right or wrong. I'm just saying he just, he just wasn't, he wasn't out there on the circuit. Right. Um, so I'm interested to see how, you know, to your point, like, you know, he's a little stronger at this point. I have a hard time looking at this roster and thinking like that he can't be a dude who can be productive, but he's certainly going to have to earn it. He'll get his, I mean, that's the one thing we'll see. He'll get, he'll get some opportunities early to show not just in practice, but in games. Um, he's going to have to make a lot of them, but he's a lot of it's going to be how he practices. And if he's able to, to sort of show uh, Tony that he can be a consistent dude, you know, he, he'll earn that time. But the thing about Tony and, and certainly the way that, it's always been for him, especially on the deep teams is like, you're going to have to be ready when your number's called, because when it is called, he's going to expect you to perform. He's going to expect you to be consistent. And we have seen many dudes all of a sudden just kind of vanish because they just couldn't do that. And it's a, I think it's a hard thing when you don't get a lot of minutes to just sort of be impactful when you go in. But hopefully, because of how deep they are, their practices should, I mean, they should be able to practice at a really high level. And and this is one of those things coaches will tell you, like, um, when you can't practice consistently at a high level, it really does hurt your game. And and I and I know for a lot of people out there, they think the kids are like, you know, there's like a video game and they just have these attributes, you know, they're this quick and they shoot this well and, da, 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 and you just plug them in and they play. Well, that's not necessarily how it works. There's a chemistry thing to it. There's a timing. There's a feel. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see sort of how that all shakes out, especially earlier in the year, given the schedule. Um, any other hoops thoughts before we wrap up? Yeah, I just had a quick question for you guys. Did you get, did y'all watch any of the interviews today at the tip off? I was put you on bit. the spot as Bordos. Tony seems like, I don't know how to describe it. Like it's not cocky. It just seems there's a little, I mean, he seems very, I'll be honest. Tony seems very comfortable with where he is. He's, um, he's becoming a curmudgeon. The, no, I think he's no, loose. no, no. I think he was almost the same questions. He kind of would have like laughed off a, a little bit. Like he was asked him, I can't. I think it was Packer and them. It might have been Seth Greenberg that asked him about recruiting and all that stuff um, today. And he he kind of made a <laughs> made a comment like, you know, it's with your eyes. It, you know, you look at what we've done. You know, <laughs> we we've proved proven it. Just little stuff that uh, maybe I've missed him saying it before. He just seems a little more. He's like I think, confident about the program. Yeah, he's, he's got been, he's got a okay touch. He's got a little edge to him, you know. And yeah. I think part of it too is that, um, you know, when Tony typically is like confident in his kids, it's, yeah, I wasn't going to go that far. <laughs> well, and I'm, I'm just saying, but like typically, I mean, this is just a fact. I think, and you can kind of go back and look at this, but like you can sometimes get a sense of like what he thinks based on how he sort of is, you know. 
even if he's not necessarily saying like, and he's just not, he's not a human who's ever going to be like, yeah, we're going to the final four. Um, but people say the same thing about Saban. They're like, when he comes in and has like nothing to say, it's like up, oh, they're going to just destroy everyone. <laughs> <laughs> See, Tony, Tony's an, is like the Uber competitor. Like he's so com- like the people around the program. will tell you like, he's so competitive, like anything he does, even though he's like a really nice dude, he's also like super competitive. And so, like, I think when he gets to this, like, little edge to him, he's got that confidence that little, he's kind of loose a little bit. And he'll, like, he doesn't, he doesn't necessarily have to be, like, I don't want to say he doesn't have to be nice. That sounds weird. But, like, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't uh, shy away from every once in a while, like, giving it back to somebody if they're, you know, like, that is that competitive side. And it, I've always thought that it, it, it spoke to or, you know, sort of inferred the, that he's got some confidence in his, in his team. Um, I think with this group, honestly, he knows, because of you know having so much back and because of the Italy trip, I bet he knows he feels like he's got a really good grip on who they actually are, even if he's not sure like how the season will run or like what the rotations might look like. He knows who the guys are, he understands the the way that the pieces need to fit together. Um, he's got a whole lot of data, and like I said before, he's like an, an habitual, like continual evaluator. Like, like I said, I, I know that there have been kids who have committed to UVA who he continued to evaluate and then sort of being like, oh, man, maybe I shouldn't have done this. Maybe I shouldn't have taken that kid. And then the kid would have a couple good games and on the A circuit, be like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, it's, everything's fine. Like most, most coaches, once they get a kid committed, they're so excited. They don't, you know, I'm not saying they don't care per se, but they don't, they don't track it like that. You know, they're more worried about somebody else stealing them from him. Tony's making sure that the dude is actually the guy he thinks he's got. And I feel like that's what he sees on this team. Is he knows what he's got. So, all right, that a good place to put a pen in it. I'm hearing uh, no objections, so I'm gonna move forward with the closing of the show. Um, if you are somebody out there who found the podcast through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you don't mind, look us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, or wherever it is that you get your programs. And if you're so inclined to give us a rating or review, we appreciate that. Now, if you're somebody who's found the pod but has not given us a look at the website yet, you can check us out at CavsCorner.com. Right now, we got midseason review stuff from Ferber, um, both for the offense and the defense. Dave's got his cheers, fears, and beers for the bye week, um, which I really love that you just called it the bye week. That was great. Um, let's see. We got some hoops recruiting stuff up there. And if you want to if you subject yourself to the take two from the other day, feel free. Um, we'll have more uh, hoops recruiting stuff coming for you later this week. Um, let's see. I want to thank my perfect franchise for their support of the show and of the website. You can visit myperfectfranchise.net for more information on how you can find freedom in your next venture and discover the perfect franchise for you. I want to thank everybody out there for supporting the show. And of course I want to thank David Ferber for giving graciously your time as always. I very much appreciate all they do. So for David Spence and Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon. Basketball.